So we're going to wrap up this series that uh, we've been in this whole month called Life Interrupted, where we've been looking at uh, some of the, the, the most, the biggest, the most important parts of our life and asking ourselves two questions. And that goes like this, what do we do when our life blows up? What do we do when our life gets interrupted, disrupted, you know, falls apart? What do we do when the most important person in our life gets sick or leaves or dies or, or whatever? What do we do? And then there's always another question that always goes along with that when your life really tanks and it, and it goes like this, and where is God when my life gets really, really hard? And so we've been kind of looking at that. And the, the truth is, though, is that how you answer either one of those questions really reveals an answer to a bigger question going on in, in your life. And it goes like this, what is it that you believe to be true about God? What do, you, what do you think about God? And that's called faith, by the way. I believe, I'm trusting in, I'm counting on this to be true about God. I think God is like this. I think that he does these kind of things. I think he will do these kind of things. That's called faith. And in a room like this, you know, in a church like Flatirons, there's a, this room represents a really wide range of views and opinions about God. But when your life really gets hard and interrupted, you know, your opinions and your views about God, your faith not just gets tested, but also reveals what you really do trust in. And we have the spectrum in here. For some of us, you know, we're just not there yet. God's a, we want him to be real, but he's kind of like this warm, fuzzy feeling, you know, and maybe he's a good moral code, and that's why you come to church, because it's just, he's just wholesome, you know, for everyday behavior. But let's be honest, when, when it comes to like to the big stuff, like the hard stuff in life, let's be honest, um, thank you, God, but I've got to take care of this. I've got to do the big stuff, and, and uh, it's every man for himself. I mean, you do what you have to do. You love the idea of God. But really, your faith, what you're really counting on to get you through the hard times is something or someone else. It may be yourself, it may be something else, but it's, it's not God. Then on the other end of the spectrum, and we know, we know people like this, there are actually people in this room and on the planet, they actually believe, they really do. They think there is a God and He's good. And they think if you ask Him, He will show up and He will do the things that He actually promises to do and He'll be the things and He'll accomplish the things that He promises to, to actually do. But bottom line is, the question this series has caused me and all of us to ask over and over is, do I trust God or can you, can you trust God? So, you know, whether part of your life is like a disaster or just kind of flirting with it, you know, like that song says, the hardest times, the life interrupting times really reveal your answer. Do I, can I trust God? In this series, I, I got to tell you, you know, we've, we've done a lot of series, you know, in the three years I've been here, but I, I think this one's been one of the toughest. I really do. Uh, it's one of the most emotional Yet I would say, I, I think it's one of the best series that we've ever tried to work through together as a community. And, it's, you know, emotional, I mean, this week promises a lot more of the same. As a matter of fact, I think that this week could be more emotional. Some of you are like, oh, no, you know, I, I'm telling you, it's going to be a different kind of emotion. See, a few of us might listen to what I'm about to say for the next, you know, 30, 40 minutes and go, that makes me feel happy. Okay, a couple of you, all right? Then there's more of us, we'll, we'll feel sad or it'll just make us afraid but I would say that the, the most common emotion that you and I are going to feel over the next 30 minutes is resentment. Some of us are going to get angry. A lot of us are going to be conflicted. It's like, oh, I know, but this and this and this, and you have this tug of war. And we're going to get a little defensive because if you really want to tick off people, especially in church, just bring up money, right? Right? Some of you are going, I did not know this was going to be about this. I would have stayed home and watched the game or something like that, right? I mean, bring up especially Especially if someone like me were to stand up here and suggest that maybe when it comes to money, some of us haven't made very good decisions or wise decisions. You suggest that and all that emotion starts coming up like we're feeling right now, some of us. I mean, we can talk about anything else but that. 
Right? Scott and I can stand up here and talk about, well, we do all the time, sex and love and romance and, and relationships, you know, good ones and the ones that blow up. And everybody in here is fine. It's like, oh, that's right. I screwed that up too. Yeah, me too. We're, we've all done that. And we can stand up here and talk about tough stuff like, you know, cancer and car wrecks and emergency rooms and sick kids. And again, everybody's fine with us talking about that in church. I mean, when, when life gets hard, I mean, you got to hold on to God. We all believe that. We can even stand up here, you know, like last week and talk about things that most churches don't talk about. Like depression and cutting and, and, you know, and, 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 uh, and, and suicide. Well, we can talk about like cussing ladies trying to beat up the pastor. You know? We can talk about all that kind of stuff. And, and everybody applauds and says, how cool is that, that? That God cares about all the areas of our life, even the messy ones, the embarrassing ones. But bring up the subject of, hey, I, I got an idea, a, a thought. Maybe God wants us to spend or use our money differently. And then the emotion changes to mind your own dang business, right? We're going to talk about money for two reasons tonight. The first reason, is the most important reason, is that Jesus talked about money a lot. Almost more than anything else he talked about in his three years he walked the planet. He talked about money more than he talked about heaven and hell and love your neighbor. And he, he just talked about money. And there was a reason for that. And we'll, we'll get to that. The re- other reason that we're going to talk about money tonight is that given the current and future economic situation of the world, or at least our country, but more importantly, us, our lives, we better talk about it, right? I mean, in terms of relationships, all right? Money is the number one thing breaking up our relationships, the stress and fighting over money, right? In terms of our, our physical health, the thing that's kind of tearing us aside, you know, our blood pressure's going up and skyrocketing, it's over, over money. Our mental health, feeling overwhelmed and, and depressed, you know, the number one thing is causing that? Money. Ab- absolutely. It's just, it's just kind of overwhelming, all right? So we're stressed out either because we want to get money or we're trying to protect our money. Or we're afraid that we're going to lose our money or we don't have enough of it. It's the focus of our lives. And Jesus knew that. And that's why he talked about it all the time. Back in October, I, we, we kind of unpacked this one verse out of the Bible that Jesus kind of, kind of gets the whole thing together. He says this. He says, no one, all right, no one then or now can serve two masters. Well, we know that. We've you know, gone to school or gone to work or whatever and we had two bosses or two teachers and both telling us what to do, whatever. It doesn't work. You can't serve two masters. Either he'll... Hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. But you cannot serve both God and money. And when Jesus uses the word serve, he means you can't, like, work for. You can't, you can't put your trust in. You can't lean on. You can't count on. You can't have faith in both God and money. See, Jesus, he's so smart. He knows that his biggest competition for your life, for your heart, for your faith, is not the devil. It's not the boogeyman. Oh, no. You know, we're walking around with the boogeyman. No, 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 no. His biggest competition for your heart, the question that you and I will always wrestle with is, What's going to take care of me better, money or God? Which one is going to take better? Which one can I trust more? And, of course, my question is, um, can I have both God and money? <laughs> right? Yes, absolutely. You know, I, I want both God and money, a- absolutely. But the, the bigger question is this, which one do you believe is able to take better care of you? In these areas of our life, you know, you know our relationships, absolutely. In, in, our, in our physical health, absolutely. In our mental health, absolutely. We, 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 all, we all say God. But I'm talking about that. The other parts of our life, which can take better, better care of us, you know? Our finances, our job, our stocks, our 401k, our retirement plan, our college tuition, our college education, our mortgage payment, our health plan. What do you do when those things get interrupted? And that's what I want to look at tonight. Before you say, well, between God and that, I, I think God, okay? But before you say that, which is a great church answer, by the way, um, what, would the, what would the evidence of your life say you were trusting in to take care of you? Let me just ask it a, a different way. Um, by show of hands, and we did this last week, how many of us, all right, now, 
listen to this whole thing, okay. Some of us can't get there right now, but if there is a God, how many of us would agree that if there is a God, he owns everything? Ready? Anybody? Okay? If there's a God, I'm not saying there is, but if there is a God, he owns everything, okay? That, that would be most of us. I mean, we're here on this planet for like 70, 80 years. Some of you borrowed time, I'm telling you. But anyway, you know, and then we come to the end of our 100 years or whatever or, or whatever, and then we give our stuff to somebody else. Somebody else gets it, right? Our kids get it. The lawyers get it, you know, whatever, the, whoever gets it, all right? Everything belongs to God. He was here before us. He's probably going to outlive us. But we believe that really everything belongs to God. Now, second question. How many of us would really like it if God would give us some more of his money? Ready? Go. Okay? That, that would be all of us. Now, here's the other question. All right? Based on the choices and decisions that you and I have made in the past, if there's a God, I bet he's smart. Right? Okay? So based on the choices and decisions you and I have made in the past, if God is smart, why would or why should God give you or I or trust us with any more of his money if he's smart? Let me ask the same question a, a different way, all right? Around here, we say this a lot. We believe that the heart of God beats for several things, but at the top of the list, you know where I'm going with this, all right? The number one thing God wants is that everybody on the planet has an opportunity to hear that he doesn't hate them, he actually loves them, and that no matter what they've screwed up or what's disconnected from God, through Jesus Christ, everybody can be reconnected back to God, okay? They don't have to believe that or accept it, but they at least deserve the opportunity to hear that. That's the number one heartbeat of God that everyone would know. That, that Jesus is who he says he is, all right? The number two heartbeat of God is take care of the poor and the, and the forgotten of the planet, okay? It's not just take care of the poor and the forgotten because we can feed all the poor and they still end up in hell, so that would not really be helpful, you know? So it's both of those. We want them to know God loves them, and we also want to feed them. Now, if that's true, if that's what God's heart beats for, are you a good investment for God? Really. In other words, what kind of return has he gotten from you in the past? Not your plans. In the past, that his heart and his passions are being addressed. Because if he's smart, he would invest his money in the places and in the people who want the same things he wants. So based on your past and my past history, why would or why should God trust us with more of his money? It's a great question, isn't it? Now, time out here. Before we get into this, I'll kind of give two things here, right? First, this is not a giving talk, all right? Uh, meaning the, the win for tonight is not that you write bigger checks and put them in the colorful buckets in the back door, okay? That's not it. I, I'm going to talk about giving tonight, but... The goal here is not to have you give more to flat irons, all right? What I want to look at today is a key truth that God teaches about money, but more about faith. And by the way, Jesus said your faith and your money will always be in the same place, by the way. And like we say around here all the time, if you don't trust flat irons with your money because you got burnt by a church or something like that in the past, then find some place you do trust that runs after the heart of God and is making a difference in the world and give your money to them. Now, I love this place, and I think God is doing amazing things here, and I think you can trust it. But that's not what we're talking about tonight. The second thing, though, is this, all right? Um, in all the other weeks, we've been talking about what do we do when all these areas blow up in our life. And now you're sitting there going, so why should God give us more money when really, that's really not my problem. Um, I'm not trying to get ahead. I'm not trying to expand my business or expand my financial empire. What I'm trying to do is just not go under. I'm just trying to, you know, not to, to, to go all, all the way, you know, bankrupt, all right? So why are we talking about, you know, why should God give us more of his money? Here's why. Because the truth that we're going to look at today applies whether you have a whole bunch of money, like I don't know what to do with all this, all right, um, or hardly any money at all. Now, here's the truth, okay, uh, that's true, but we're not going to spend a lot of time on it because there's really no point tonight. Here's the truth. You might want to write this down because it's so smart. Here it is. Ready? The financial situation that you find yourself in tonight is either, write this down, your fault or somebody else's. 
Oh, Sensei, you're so, I know, I've, I've studied hard for that one, okay? The financial situation that you find yourself in tonight, it's either your fault or somebody else's fault, right? That just makes sense. Either, you know, you have enough money for everything you need or you don't. And you have, the, that's based on either in the past you made good, wise decisions or you made bad ones. You spent more money than you actually had or you spent less money than you have. If you spend more money than you have, that's called debt. If you spend less money than you have, that's called margin, also known as peace, by the way, all right? But some of us have found us in financial situations. We had no choice. We, we, didn't, it's not, we didn't do anything wrong. Somebody else made a decision, and it fell on us. They decided to, you know, downsize. They decided to invest in this, to lay us off, to take the company in a different direction, and that new direction didn't include us. So what I always thought would be there for me, like a job or money, income, it's not there anymore. That's where some of us find ourselves tonight. The truth is someone or something is responsible for you find yourself. And that truth needs to be addressed, and you need to get your arms around that, how you got there. But really what I want to look at tonight is not so much how did I get here as much as what am I going to do now in all these. You know, we didn't look at how to have a better marriage. It's like now that my marriage or my relationships or whatever they are, where they are, what am I going to do now? I didn't choose for my family to end up in this type of situation, but now that we are here, what are we going to do now? And I never plan on falling in a pit of dis, you know, despair and slicing my arm open in the shower. But now that I live here, what am I going to do now? And it's the same thing with this. What am I going to do now? And this what am I going to do now truth is found all through the Bible. It's found in the parts of the Bible before Jesus showed up, and it's found in the part of the Bible after Jesus showed up. So we're going to look at a part of the Bible that is actually you know, like 400 years before Jesus even, even showed up. Um, so it's a little Bible history time. If you have the Flatirons Bible, um, you're going to find the book of Malachi, okay? Which is like, uh, I know where that is. Well, good for you. It's the last book of the Old Testament, meaning find the Jesus parts and go about through the maps and back to the last part of the before Jesus parts, okay? And you'll find Malachi. A lot of people thought it was like a, an Italian prophet named Malachi, but it's not. It's actually Malachi. That was a horrible preacher joke. I'm so sorry. We're going to edit that out. But anyway, here it is, okay? So it's Bible history time. My ADD medicine was gone like an hour ago. So here we go, right? About 400 years before Jesus was born, the Israelite people that started way back, you know, thousands of years before this, were going through a really hard time, okay? Meaning that morally, they were like bankrupt, okay? Spiritually, they just said, God, but out of our life, we'll do this other thing. And then financially, they were, in, they were just in the tank, they, they, were, they were in a depression, a recession. They'd been conquered by every country that tried to conquer them. Um, they, to pay their bills, they sold themselves into slavery. I mean, it was a really, really bad situation, all right? And God had been sending these prophets to him. Like the several hundred pages before Malachi, it was prophet after prophet going, hey, um, listen, God still loves you, and he still has a plan for your life, but you need to follow him. And they're like, no, we don't want to follow him. We can work this thing out. So finally, God sends this guy named Malachi who shows up and, and says, hey, God wants me to tell you something. This is what God says. Malachi chapter 3 says this. This is God talking through Malachi. He says, I, I the Lord, do not change. Okay? I, I'm God. I'm the same all the time. So you, O descendants of Jacob, you Israelites, you Jewish people, all right, you're not destroyed. Okay? In other words, I don't change. You're still around because of me. Next verse goes like this. Ever since the time of your forefathers, like your grandpa and your great-grandpa, all those people, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. So here's what I want you to do. Return to me, and I'll return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Now, this is, this is classic God, okay? And he's probably said this to you sometime in your life. It goes like this. Um, I didn't move. You did. Right? I didn't change. I didn't leave you. You left me. But I'm telling you, I'm still here. I'm still here. Return to me. 
and I'll return to you. In other words, you take one step my direction, and I'll be there. That's what he says. So the, so the, 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 the Jewish people say back to him, but you ask him, how do we return? In other words, um, what, what does that mean, like return to God? So God says this, will a man rob God? You rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? How do you rob God? In tithes and offerings. So you're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you're robbing me. Now, so we're 400 years before Jesus. Let's go back a couple thousand years before this. There's this guy named Moses, all right, who goes, remember that you saw the movie, all right? So he goes to Egypt, and all the Israelites are enslaved to the Egyptians, and they're making bricks and all that kind of stuff. And he leads them out through that, you know, that Red Sea and through the desert for 40 years, and finally come to this place called the Promised Land, which is modern-day Israel, all right? And they're there, and God says, okay, now listen, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take care of you guys. I'm going to bless you and take care of you, and you're going to go in, and, and if you read the story, it's great. They like march up to a city, and the city just fall apart, you know, and then they just take over and have all their stuff. So they got richer and richer and richer. So he says, listen, I'm going to take care of you, all right? But here's what I want you to do. Write this down. Okay, Moses. So Moses writes all this down, all right? It's all in the book of Leviticus. He says, here's, here's what I want you to do. Um, once a year, I want every family to kind of like do an inventory. So go through, you know, your, your, your cows and go through your sheep and go through your bank accounts and go through your crops, whatever. And here's what I want. Once a year, I want you to take a tenth of each one of those things and give them to the temple. What, what do you mean? It means like um, when it's time for harvest time in the fall, and you get all the corn and get it all in there, the first tenth of corn that comes into the barn, take that to the temple and give it to God. Okay? When in the spring, when all your cows start having babies, pick out the 10% of, of the best of your, of your whole herd, take that, give that to God. Okay? Same with your sheep, all right? Take your sheep and you know, count it up. Then go to the bank and go, okay, how much do I have? Oh, I've got 100 bucks in there. Take 10 of that and I want you to give it to me. Now, they take that to the temple, and that's what they ran the temple on, okay? The, the, the priests and the rabbis and things like that, they would, like, like you know, take care of the, big, the building and stuff like that. They'd also go out into the community around Israel and take care of the poor and, and, and different things like that. But that's not what God saw it as, you know, just as a way to finance the temple. He saw it as a statement of their faith. So you're going to go in there, and, you know, you're going to live in, like, the, the best country ever, all right? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to remember where it came from, meaning this. I want you to trust me. And, and we all go, I trust God spiritually. He's going, that's great, thank you. You're not going to hell, you're going to heaven. Great. Now, let's talk about the other areas of your life. Do you trust me with, if you're going to have enough to eat tomorrow? Oh, I don't know. Then give me a tenth of your food. Are you going to have enough to wear? Well, give me a tenth of your money. Are you going to have enough whatever? Give me a tenth of your cows. Give me a tenth of this. And I will see it as a statement of, yeah, I trust you with all the areas of my life. And that's called tithing. A tenth is the same word as tithe. By the time Malachi shows up, all right, nobody tithes anymore. No, no, that was like, the old people used to do that, but we don't do that. Or if they did give, they gave out of what was left over. And in that economy, there was just nothing left over. They would go through their, you know, their cows and go, um, that one's about ready to die anyway. Give it to God. Or they go to the most puny sheep they had left, you know. Or it's like, um, listen, we ate most of the corn, but is there any left? You know, throw that in God's direction. And they would actually tell the priest when they'd handed him money, you're lucky to get this. They'd reduce God down to kind of like the goodwill store. If you don't want it anymore, or if you've got a new one and it's broken and stuff like that, give him your old, worn-out, broken stuff. He's lucky to get it. And the poor, they should be thankful they get anything. And God sends a message that goes, you wonder why your family, your nation's all screwed up? Here's why. Your priorities are all jacked up. They're, they're, they're totally upside down. Instead of putting me first, I get the leftovers. I'm an afterthought. Instead of honoring me on the front end of your life, the only time I hear from you is when your life is kind of tanking and you want me to bail you out on the backside. Here's what I want you to do. The next verse goes like this. 
All right? Bring the whole tithe, the whole tenth of everything you have, into the storehouse, into the temple, that there may be food in my house. This is the only time God says this. Test me in this. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. Do you what God's saying to the, to the Jewish people, right, 2,400 years ago? I've been faithful to you again and again and again and again, and I haven't heard from you in a long time. And now you're in trouble and you want me to jump in and fix your problems. And I will, because I never change. I've always been there for you in the past, but this time before I do, I want you to do something. I want you to take the first step in my direction. What do, what do you mean? Bring the whole 10% to me and see. Just test me in this. You don't believe me? Just do, take a step in my direction and see if I don't open up the floodgates of heaven and pour so much blessing and, and care upon you, you won't have enough room for it. See, God makes Israel a specific promise. You take a step of faith in my direction, and I'll take a step of faith towards you, or take a step towards you and, and blow you away. I'll, I'll move on your behalf. Now, that promise was made to the Israelite people thousands of years ago. That promise wasn't made to America. That promise wasn't made to all the Christians. You know, although every TV preacher or pastor that's trying to raise money uses this little section of the Bible to go, listen, if you give God money, he'll turn around and like triple it back in your direction. That, that, that promise isn't even in there. It was made to those people. But here is a promise that runs cover to cover from the Bible. God responds to our faith. God responds to a person's faith, not the amount of a person's check or offering. And the promise that God makes is this. If you'll take a step of faith in my direction, God says, first, then I'll take a step in your direction and act on your behalf. Here's what I want you to write down and take away tonight. God responds to acts of faith. God responds to acts of faith. In other words, if, if, you, if a person's faith leads them to do something, I'm going I'm to risk something. I'm going to take a step, and I normally wouldn't do this, but the only reason I'm doing this is I believe these things to be true about God. That's why I'm going to do this. The Bible says, Jesus says, God says, the Malachi says, if you'll take a step towards God because you believe God is this way, God will respond and do something on your behalf. That's the first two-thirds of the Bible, and skip ahead a few hundred years when Jesus came, and you find the same truth in play. What do you mean? Jesus responded to people's faith. One day, Jesus is walking down the road, all right, and this Roman, like, general runs up to him, okay? And so the, the Roman general walks up and says, listen, hey, I got a guy that works for me, and he's dying. Say the word, and he'll be okay. And Jesus kind of looks at him. So the, the, the general goes on and says, all right, listen, I've been watching you. I think I've got, I, I know your game. You're like me. What do you mean? It means this. It's like, I'm a general, so I tell people to do stuff, and they have to do it. Not just because it's me, but because I'm tapped into Rome. So if you don't do what I say, you have to answer to Rome, all right? So they, people do what I say because I work for Rome. I think you're the same way. I think that you can say the word, not because you're a magic person or something like that. I think you're tapped into something higher. And Jesus, I think that if you say the word, my servant will be healed. So will you say the word? And look at Jesus' response to this, Matthew chapter 8, verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he was, what's the word? astonished it's the only place in the bible where you find jesus or god with their mouth open going no way are you really believe that i would love to be the guy that blew jesus away jim he's just crazy all right when jesus heard this he was blown away and he said to those following him who said we follow you all the way we love you we have so much faith and all they're all jewish people around him you know we've believed in you way back since abraham stuff like that jesus looks at all these jewish believers and says i tell you the truth i've not found anyone in israel with such great what faith. He didn't say power. 
You see all the medals on his chest? And you see the spear he had in his hand? Or he had Rome behind No, no, no. Listen, his, 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 his servant was healed because of the centurion's faith. God always responds to the faith, not your position or power. Another time, and this is great, Jesus is walking down the road, and this woman, and the Bible says that she had an issue of blood for 12 years. She had some hemorrhaging. It's probably you know, menstrual or something like that. She probably had cervical cancer or whatever, but Jewish law says that if, if you have any blood coming out of you at all, you weren't allowed to leave the house. You were just like unclean. And so she spent 12, 12 years at home. We find out later studying her Bible. Okay, and she finds out that Jesus is coming to town, and she breaks all the Jewish, you know, customs. We talked about this last year, and she she goes and she goes leaves her house, and she goes to the crowd because she wants to touch this. Because see, every Jewish rabbi wears a prayer shawl. Okay, they still do today. We bought this at the synagogue up in in in, uh, in Boulder, so it's 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 a real deal. Okay, so anyway, so here's the thing: is she believed because she's been studying her Bible. Based on the prophecies from Malachi all the way backwards, one day God would send a Messiah and he would have healing in his, what? Wings, which is the, the name for these tassels or these tzitzis that hang off of the prayer shawl. She actually believed that if she could just get to him, and she does this, push people aside and reach through the crowd and grab one of those, she would be healed. So she does it. She, you know, pushes people around. She grabs through and Jesus stops right in the middle of the road and goes, you know, and she's, she's people are she goes, who, who touched me? And the disciples are like, I don't know, Lord, like there's a lot of people. <laughs> Why'd I pick you? You know, go fishing. You know, whatever. You know what but he turns to this woman. Look at what he says to this woman, all right? Which is, is great. Jesus turned to her and saw her, all right? And this is, this is this lady who's been bleeding. And she says, he says what? What's the first two words? Take heart. Have you heard that before? We've used it the last two weeks. In this world, you will have trouble, but... Take heart, I overcome the world, right? So he looks at this woman and he says, take heart, daughter. He said, your what? Your faith has saved you. Not my magic tassels. Your faith has, has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment on. Again, not because of, 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 of magic or because, you know, uh, that, that she touched it in a certain way or, or whatever, but because of her faith. Her faith caused her to do something. Now, here's the thing. She believed all the same stuff back home when she was locked in her house bleeding, Right? I mean, she sat on the bed, you know, and just, you know, someday the Messiah is going to come, and you know, if I could just touch his tassel, I'm telling you, I think I, think I could be healed. Maybe she wrote a song about it. Maybe she prayed about it. Well, you know, whatever. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe she wrote, you know, poems about someday, whatever. No, no, no. She believed, and then she heard that he was close by. She got out of her, out of her house. She, she broke all the customs, went against what everybody told her to do, reached through and ta- touched his tassel because her faith said, get up and go do something. You know, you can't, it's, it, you're not going to heal yourself. But I'm telling you, you, you go do something because of your faith. And over and over again, you find people doing something out of their faith. There were these four guys who had a, who had a friend and he couldn't walk. And Jesus was in this building, but they'd already kind of closed the doors because, you know, the fire code or something. Like, no more people can come in here. So they took him up on the roof and ripped the roof open and lowered him down in front of Jesus. It's like, comes down in the middle of the sermon. It's like, um... I guess I'll heal you. Okay, you know, so like he has to heal him like around the middle of church, you know. And, and, and uh, another time, this, 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 this blind guy's like, you know, I haven't been able to see my whole life. And Jesus says, somebody lead him over to that, that, that pond over there. He's like, is it a magic pond? No. You know, it's, it's just, just do this out of obedience. All right, I trust you. And he goes over there and washes his face, and, and he can see again. And over and over and over again, you see people being healed and people coming back to life, not because they did something great. Oh, did you see the crusade they went on? And you say they raised so much money, they built a wing on and named it after him, you know? Or that, that's, not what, that's not what God responds to. What God responds to is that whatever you do is the faith that made you do it. That's what he responds to. 
God responds to faith. More specifically, God responds to our faith-driven actions, not our faith-sounding good intentions. You know, out of faith someday, because I love God, but someday. Listen to what a guy named James says, and this is, we quoted him last week. He's the half-brother of Jesus. He said this. By the way, these are not rhetorical questions, so feel free to answer them out, out loud, okay? Here he goes, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? What good is that? Answer would be no good. Okay, what good is that? No good, thank you. Here's another question. Can such faith save him? No. No, thank you, all right? All right, suppose a brother or sister, this is great, here's the situation. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? It's no good. In the same way, all right, in the same way, faith, I believe, and I go to church, and I sing songs, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is what? It's dead. It's dead. Someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. I do great things. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. Whoa, whoa, whoa. so you're saying, um, I got to do something like for Jesus to save me? No. This has nothing to do with going to heaven or going to hell. That's not even on the, it's not even on the table. That's already been taken care of, all right? It has nothing to do with that. Um, the, the, the truth is, is that he's saying is that if you have faith, if you believe me, take a step in, in, in my direction. And by the way, though, if you, want, if you want to go down that road, God already took a step in your direction before you ever took a step in his direction. I, I say this all the time. These are my favorite verses in, in the Bible. Romans chapter 5, it goes like this. You see, at just the what time? Just the right time when we were still powerless. Not when we like, you know, I, I found some power and now, now God's going to do something for me. No. You see, at just the right time when I was still powerless, Christ died for the what? The who? Ungodly. Not the godly. The ungodly. Now, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. We might die for like, you know, somebody that's really worth it. And here it is, right? But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners... In other words, before we ever took a step in his direction, before we showed up at church, prayed a prayer, sang a song, cut that out of our life, started doing more of this, you know, gave to the poor, you know, were faithful to our marriage vows, before anything, while we were still screwing up our life, Christ took a step in our direction and died for us. See, we're saved. You know, we're forgiven. We're guaranteed heaven because God first moved in our direction, acted on our behalf. And now he says, do you you believe that? Because if you get that, take a step in my direction. Test me in this and see if I don't, do what I promised to do. See, we're saved because in faith, we trusted him and we took a step towards him and he gave us forgiveness through what Jesus did on the cross before we had faith. Now he says the same principle applies, not just to your spiritual life, but to all areas of your life, including your financial life. God says, I have everything you need. Do you believe that? I can take care of you. Do you believe that? Sure, sure, we sing, you just sing a song about it. And so I'm, I'm not asking you to sing a song about it. I'm asking you to take a step in my direction, something totally different. You know, if I could describe uh, America, maybe through the election and, and even the last couple of months, in one word, it would be panic. It, I mean, just watch the news tonight. Oh, it's down, this is down, and this is gone, and this is downsized, and this is, uh, this, all right, if I could describe how I feel, I gotta be honest with you, worried, Aren't you a little worried? If I could talk about the future, about, you know, 
you know, college tuition and mortgages and car payments and stuff like that. Um, I think a word that I, in my house, I'm, I'm a little bit afraid. I'm, I'm, I'm fearful. So what are we going to do? What does Jesus say to do when your financial world is flirting with disaster? Here's what he says. He says, therefore, and what do you mean therefore? He just finished talking about going, this is who I am. And you can trust me. And I have everything you need. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Here's a question. Is life, is not life more important than food? Of course it is. And the body more important than clothes? Of, of course it is. Let's get down to verse 30. He says, oh, then where's your faith? Oh, oh, you little faith. So don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Or, How can I afford this? And I got this payment coming up and I got college coming up and I've got this and, you know, I'm retiring and my 401k went down. And what, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And where am I going to live? Just don't, don't, don't run around going, oh, no, oh, no, the sky is falling. For the, look at the next verse. For the pagans, and, and I know there's a pagan religion today, but in Jesus' day, a pagan was simply someone who says, listen, I know you believe in God and stuff like that. I don't. I actually believe in something else. I'm putting my trust in this over here. This is what's going to take care of me, all right? And that might have been their money or it might have been a big rock or it might have been the mountain or it might have been, you know, the trees. I, I don't know what it had been, but I just believe in something other than God. He says, listen, you're running around like going, oh, no, oh, no, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? The pagans, that's what they do. They run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need Him. So here's what He says to do. What, what should I do? What should I do if, my, if the sky is falling and my, my life is falling apart? Here it is. Here, seek first His kingdom. Who's Jesus? Seek first God's kingdom and His righteousness. And all of these things, what, what, what things are you talking about? Uh, food, clothing, shelter, eat, drink, all that kind of stuff that you just talked about? They'll be given to you as well. See, here's the truth that Jesus taught. Not flatterns, not Jim. This is what Jesus taught, he promised. He says, if you will first prioritize the heart of God in your life, including your financial life, God promises to ensure that you will have all the things that he knows that you need. That's what Jesus taught. And the flip side of that has to be true as well. If we continue to prioritize our stuff on the top of the list and our needs and our wants, if we make that first on the list, there's no assurance of the same thing. So I'm going to wrap up this series, all right? If all that's true, then in all the areas of our life, all four of these areas, God says I'll be there for you, and God says I'll take care of you. That's what we talked about the last three weeks. And God responds to our acts of faith. What are we going to do now? I don't know. Make a wise decision? Let me give you an example, okay? You can live your whole relational life, okay? Your marriage, your dating life, your sex life, your friendship life, whatever that is, and leave God out of it. You know, you can run your own, the, the relational part of your life for, for, for years and years and years, and everything will be fine for a while. But one day, it's going to tank, or it's going to start falling apart. Or you're going to find out that so-and-so really wasn't telling you the truth about this, and everything's going to start crumbling. You know what you're going to do then? You're going to do what I would do. You're going to throw up this prayer to God going, hey, God, listen, I, I really haven't asked you to be a part of this, but now it's really falling apart. Would you jump into my mess and fix it, right? And he will. He'll jump in and take care of it. Or, or the same thing is with, with our families, you know. We're going to raise our kids or we're going to, you know, do our home life this. We're going to run after this and, you know, we're going to work really, really hard at work so we can get ahead in this and do this and have all the things, whatever. And we think our life is going great. And then you know what's going to happen? The phone is going to ring at 2 o'clock in the morning. And the, I never thought that would happen is going to happen. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to find yourself in an emergency room, a funeral home, or a lawyer's office. And you're going to throw up a Hail Mary pass to, to God and go, hey, we really haven't spoken in about five years. Jim, remember? Okay, listen. <laughs> I need you to fix this because I don't know what to do. 
right? We've all, a lot of us have prayed that prayer. And none of us ever think that we or somebody we ever care about is going to fall into such a pit that they'd slice their arms and legs open in the shower, shoot themselves in the leg, or, or just ask that God would kill them. But you know what's going to happen when that happens to you or someone you love? You're going to do what I have always done. You're going to try to work it out. You're going to try to fix it, but you're not going to be able to. But you're going to keep on trying until finally you're exhausted, and then finally there's just this little pile of you left in your living room, and you're going to look up at God and go, I don't know what to do. Either help or kill me. Right? Now, if that's true, in the, the areas of our life, that God says, listen, just ask, invite me into it. Jesus specifically makes that promise in our financial world. What's that mean? It means this. Jesus says if tonight you're worried about your financial world, the first thing, the first thing, what thing? The, the first thing to do, this is Jesus, not Jim, would be to take a financial step of faith in God's direction. He says, that's called seeking my kingdom first. That's it, you know, my righteousness. And trust and have faith. Believe that God will keep his promise to give you. Make sure you have everything that he knows that you need. Now, you know, I look around the room and I see heads nodding going, that's right, Jim, that's right. Jesus never asked us to nod our head in agreement. He never asked us to write a song about it or go, you know, theoretically and theologically, I think you're correct there, Jim, all right? He wasn't telling us to go to church more if our finances are in the tank, although church attendance is up in America right now. Giving's down 30% across the country, but church attendance is up. He's not asking us to, to volunteer more or sing louder. He says this, if you want the assurance that God's going to be involved in your financial world later, get involved in his now. That's what God says. And that's different than I think. See, most of us, I think you're like me, most of us, our plan is this. I'm going to get mine first, and then once I get mine, God, you're going to get yours. Someday, I'm going to do big things for God. I'm going to write a big check, you know, and I'm going to personally fund a missionary. I really am, and I'm going to go on trips and stuff like that. I mean, someday, as soon as I get mine, God, you're going to get yours. But, but, you know, the last six weeks have changed that, right? And now the money you used to have that you could have given, you don't even have anymore. And you want to give, but you just can't. But I'm still telling myself, God, someday when things get better, I, I'm going to take care of you. But I promise, and this is Jim's experience. It may not be yours, but when someday comes and your life gets financially better, there will be a long line of people and projects that will cut in front of God. And if he's not in the front of the line now, whatever your current circumstances are now, he won't be in the front of the line later, no matter how many times you try to tell yourself that. So what's the answer to the question? What do I do now that my financial world has been interrupted? I don't know. I'm not your Holy Spirit. I don't know what you're going to do. All I know is this, and this is all God asked me to pass on to you tonight. Based on what I read in the Bible, there is a pattern and a truth that goes like that. God always responds not to the size of the check you write, but to the size of the faith it took to write it. Now, I'm done. I don't... I don't know what's going on in your life, and I don't know which one of these four pictures most apply to you, but I believe with all of my heart that God is saying to you tonight, take a step towards me. Now, here's what I know about steps of faith, and I'm not a very smart person, but I do know this. You want to write this down. It's another wise sensei moment here. Ready, okay? Steps of faith are scary. Otherwise, they wouldn't be called steps of faith, right? It takes no, no faith to walk over here. It takes a lot of faith to walk out there right? And I don't know what that is for you, but you do. So here's what, here's your homework. It's not your homework. It's your room work. Here you are, right? If you, if you had one of those programs when you came in, get that out right now, okay? Get it out. Get, get, 
kids. Get, you know, all right, all right? And if you didn't have one, then you're just going to have to think of this or reach in that lady's purse and get some paper, all right? And, uh, and give like you would really like to give, but just take it out of her purse. No, I'm just kidding on that. But anyway, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write something down, okay? And I don't know which one of these four pictures applies to you, all right? Yeah, um, kind of complete this sentence with a word. If I were to take a step of faith, it would be in the area of my what? If I were to take a step of faith, it would mean that I would need to write that down and take that home and wrestle with it all week long. All right. Uh, if I were to take a step of faith in my relationships, Jim, you know, that would mean that I would have to stay or leave or call a counselor. And that would drudge up all kinds of crap that I just don't know if I'm ready to go. It would be, take a step of faith. I don't know if I'm going to take it, but that, I know that's, that would be the step I need to take. You know, there's, there's some of us, we've got some people in our life right now, hard conversation. If I were to take a step of faith, I would have to call up my son and say, you and I need to talk. Or this needs to change. Or we're not, we're not going to do this anymore. That would take a step of faith. And it would take a risk because you know what? The, the result of that might be just a, a, an avalanche. And, and I don't... It would take a step of faith. I, that's what God's telling me to do. I, know I don't know if I'm going to take it, but if I were to take a step of faith in my family or in my health, it would mean I would need to do this. Or, you know, maybe this one from last week. You know, I've never received as many emails in one week as I've received this past week. Some of you have shared your stories. You should have been up here teaching. Your faith makes my faith look like nothing. You know, how many people in this church, you have no idea, are living under that shadow, what Jesus called um, overwhelmed to the point of death. Hundreds of us. Hundreds of us slice our arms open in the shower and nobody knows about it. Lots of us already have a plan to end our life. Now listen, that's you tonight? Or you're living with somebody like that? If I were to take a step of faith in that area of my life, I'm telling you, I don't know if I can get off the couch, then curl up on the couch and take a step of faith on the couch. And I don't know what that means for you. And in your, in, your, in, last, in your financial world, you're sitting here, I'm worried about this, I'm worried about that. And it goes against everything that's intuitive in my head to say, so in order to get God to jump into my financial world, I've got to like, release the control of my, yeah. I don't know what that means for you, because I'm not God, but you and God are going to work that out. Write that down, wrestle with it all week long, okay? And then you won't come back to church, you'll find another church. But that's it was great knowing you, okay? So anyway. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to close with prayer. Brian's going to sing this great song. It's like a song like 30 years old. It's a great song. Um, but all the best music was written in the 70s anyway. So, uh, all right. So, uh, except early Michael Jackson. That was pretty good. But anyway, uh, well, that was 60s, wasn't it? I've killed the moment, Brian. I know. So anyway, uh, I'm telling you, I'm going to take more meds tomorrow. It'll be all right. Okay, so uh, I'm going to pray. He's gonna, this is a great song. Yeah, here's the, the whole thing. I don't know what I'm going to do because what's in front of me, no matter what this area is, it's a mountain. And I have no idea how I'm going to get over it, around it, or through it, or under it. So God, will you help me go through it? Okay, let's pray and go home. God, I love you. This, is, this, this series has messed with my head and messed with my heart. I don't know if anybody else got anything out of it. It took me six times a week and didn't even get part of the truth in my, in my heart. And that is... It's this, is that no matter what I'm facing in my life, whether I chose it or somebody else chose it for me, you love me and you will take care of me. And that's not just some faith thing that I'm going to sit in my living room and believe. It's a faith thing I'm going to sit in my, my living room and believe and then I'm going to get up and I'm going to act in, in light of it. 
God, I pray for those of us in this room that don't even have the strength to get up right now, that we'll just hold on to you right now as you hold on to us. So God, whatever that hard decision, that step of faith, that means if I take this step, I'm, I'm putting all my chips on the table, I'm going for broke here, whatever that is, God, will you whisper that in our hearts right now as only you can do. That's our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.